Tonight, children bearing the brunt of a brutal flu season with at least six deaths in British Columbia. Alarming outbreaks across the country and the fear among families. It seems like we have a brand new virus every 10 to 14 days. From unused vaccines to overpaid benefits. Billions of dollars have gone or may have gone to ineligible recipients. Canada's pandemic response under new scrutiny. Plus, home field advantage. It's such an exciting time in this country around this sport. The play for a pro women's soccer league in Canada in a bid to grow the beautiful game. Players like me once we're done university has somewhere to come to you. CTV National News with Omar Sachadina. Good evening, everyone. Heartbreaking evidence tonight of just how devastating this flu season is for Canadian families. CTV News has learned six children in British Columbia have died due to influenza in the past two weeks, three times as many as the province normally sees in an entire year. CTV's BC Bureau Chief Melanie Nagy now with the distressing details. Children's hospitals across the country are overwhelmed with sick kids. And in BC, respiratory illnesses like the flu have become deadly. CTV News has learned that doctors, primarily specializing in pediatric care, have been told six children living in different parts of the province have died after contracting the flu. The information was shared during a private meeting this week. A popular hockey player was one of them. Six-year-old Danielle Cabana was taken to a children's hospital with flu symptoms in late November and recently died from complications. According to the latest national data, influenza rates are above normal seasonal levels and hospitalizations linked to the flu are the highest among children under the age of four. It seems like we have a brand new virus every 10 to 14 days. Kathleen McKenzie's kids have been homesick from school off and on for three weeks. Some of the kids are getting over the previous virus. Some are going into a new one. It's not just the flu causing illness. COVID-19 and RSV are also causing serious problems. Physicians around the province are concerned. We are seeing more ER visits. Along with crowded emergency rooms and long wait times to see a doctor or nurse, there's been a shortage of children's medication. Today, the Alberta government announced it has secured a supply of 5 million bottles of fever and pain medication from a Turkish manufacturer. It's yet another pressure placed on our strained public health care system. But there is hope, there is light at the end of the tunnel. According to Canada's public health agency, older adults are also getting seriously ill with influenza and hospitalizations are not far behind children. As for the six flu-related deaths in B.C., pediatricians say it's alarming but rare. Omar? It's devastating for their families. Melanie Nagy in Vancouver tonight. The Trudeau government's response to COVID-19 is getting mixed reviews from the country's Auditor General. While the government succeeded in paying out more than $210 billion in COVID-related benefits and purchasing 169 million doses of vaccine, there were serious problems in both cases. CTV's Annie Bergeron-Oliver on the accounting that found billions in waste and overpayments. More than two years after the first payments went out, the Auditor General is now revealing Ottawa paid out billions of dollars to people not eligible for COVID benefits. 
we found that overpayments of $4.6 billion were made to ineligible individuals. Those payments were a result of the government trying to get money out fast by not requiring applicants to prove eligibility. In addition to $4.6 billion in overpayments, the Auditor General also recommended at least $27.4 billion in suspicious payments be investigated further. The hard work is now needed uh, when you minimize prepayment to do rigorous post-payment work to identify who is really ineligible and then make decisions about recovery. So far, Ottawa has only recovered $2.3 billion worth of overpayments due to what the Auditor General described as a lack of rigour. We're trying to work with Canadians in very difficult time and I wouldn't mistake a lack of aggressive pursuit for not doing it, it's just we're being compassionate. The Conservatives say that's not good enough and want to see a detailed plan of action. What kind of controls are they going to put in so that in the future, if any other problems come up like this again, that we're not seeing more wasteful inflationary spending that at the end of the day, the taxpayer gets put on the hook for. Taxpayers are also on the hook for millions of dollars worth of wasted COVID-19 vaccines. According to the Auditor General, the country had a surplus of at least 50 million vaccine doses in May 2022, 15 million of which were donated, 13 million expired before they could be, and since the audit ended, another 10 million have expired. The Public Health Agency of Canada's efforts to minimize wastage were unsuccessful. The audit attributed part of that waste at an average of $30 a dose to poor communication between Ottawa, the provinces and the territories. That, Omar, resulted in a lack of data about the inventory and demand. All right, Annie Bergeron Oliver in Ottawa, where the family of a murdered Indigenous woman spoke out today. They're angry police in Winnipeg won't look through a local landfill site for the remains of women killed by a suspected serial killer. Now they want the tools to do the search themselves. CTV's Manitoba Bureau Chief Jill Makishan reports. In this landfill site, two bodies are believed to be swallowed up in the trash and debris. Two women, daughters and mothers. These women are deserving of a proper resting place, not to be left alone in a landfill in the dead of winter. Their frustrated families and Indigenous advocates are angry they will never come home. And they say that they can't search because it's not feasible. Is human life not feasible? Winnipeg police conducted a grisly landfill search in May and recovered the partial remains of Rebecca Contois. Their investigation into an alleged serial killer eventually led them north of Winnipeg, where 39-year-old Morgan Harris and 26-year-old Mercedes Myron are believed to be buried. By the time police assessed the scene, 10,000 truckloads of debris had gone into the landfill. It was compacted and covered in tons of soil. The location of a fourth unidentified victim named by the Indigenous community as Buffalo Woman is unknown. Police believe she was wearing a reversible jacket like this. They do not know the location of her remains. And our intent from, from day one, from minute one, is to conduct a search. Um, there are times, and this I believe is one of them, where a search just simply wasn't feasible. I would say this is not how we wanted it to end. For advocates and families, this isn't the end. And if you won't look for them, then we will. We need money for searching. We need money for prevention. The minister in charge promised changes eventually, uh, so no but likely not quickly enough to prevent further tragedies. It is an, is an absolute shame that a person like me has to stand here today and tell people and cannot guarantee people that this will not happen again. Jeremy Skibicki, the man charged with four counts of first-degree murder, has been in custody since May. 
His case will go directly to trial. Skibicki is expected to plead not guilty. Omar. Such horrific details. Jill McEachon in Winnipeg tonight. Jill, thank you. A mass murder of women in Montreal 33 years ago was marked today. 14 lives were lost when a gunman targeting women opened fire at Ecole Polytechnique. On this National Day of Remembrance and Action on Violence Against Women, their memories live on. This is also a day often accompanied with a conversation about gun control, a debate that took an unexpected turn this year when a hockey star weighed in. CTV's Kevin Gallagher reports. Fourteen beams of light cast into Montreal's dreary sky. Annie Turcotte. Commemorating each young woman killed at the 1989 Ecole Polytechnique massacre. But that night I lose my innocence. Nathalie Provost survived despite being shot four times. She was among 13 injured and 14 killed by the gunman with a semi-automatic rifle. I asked him why. Why is he doing that? Why are we there in that corner of a classroom? They lost their life because they were women and because they were women in an engineering university. Though this year's somber remembrance has faced a distraction from Montreal Canadiens star goaltender Kerry Price. He criticized an amendment to federal legislation that might ban certain types of hunting rifles. I think it's a lack, a real lack of sensibility because he maintained his position. And I'm so sorry that he cannot make the difference between a privilege and a right. Yesterday, the Montreal Canadiens said Price was unaware of the unfortunate timing. Today, Price clarified. I did in fact know about the tragedy. I stand by the opinions I've shared. I acknowledge that amplifying any conversation around guns this week may have upset some of those impacted most by the events here in 1989, and to them I apologize. The committee resumes consideration of Bill C-21. Price was upset over a proposed amendment added two weeks ago to new gun control legislation. It aims to expand an existing gun ban on so-called military-style weapons, but opposition MPs say it will unfairly target hunting rifles and sports shooters. We're not going after hunting rifles and the shotguns uh, that are part of a way of life for many Canadians. Pull back. Spencer Collins is a recreational hunter. He says his gun won't be banned according to this amendment, but others just like it will. At the end of the day, people don't understand what's being uh, prohibited and uh, what's being allowed. Even gun control advocates have criticized the government for lacking clarity on its definition of which rifles should be banned, something that will be fiercely debated at committee, Omar. Kevin Gallagher in Ottawa. Kevin, thanks. Former U.S. President Donald Trump's family real estate business was found guilty today of a sweeping 13-year tax scheme. The Trump organization was convicted on all 17 counts, including conspiracy and criminal tax fraud. This was a case uh, about lying and cheating, uh, false documents uh, to the end of evading taxes. Prosecutors say the Trump Organization gave out perks to top executives, including fancy apartments, expensive cars, and private school tuition for relatives, and kept it off the books. The maximum fine, $1.6 million. Trump says he plans to appeal, calling the verdict a Manhattan witch hunt. 
The head of the United Nations called humanity a weapon of mass extinction today. He was addressing a major international conference in Montreal, where over the next two weeks, negotiators from nearly 200 countries will try to hammer out an agreement to a problem many call existential, the rapid destruction of critical ecosystems. Here's CTV's Vanessa Lee. Thank you. Seen as a once-in-a-decade moment to come up with a new global pact for nature, COP15 got underway with Canada's pledge. By 2030, we must halt and reverse biodiversity loss. And a key part of doing that is protecting 30% of the world's land and waters. Known as 30 by 30, the proposal has come under fire from Indigenous rights activists who worry it could put their territory at risk. Minutes after he started speaking, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was interrupted by protesters holding a banner that read, Indigenous genocide equals ecocide. Stop invading our lands. Lands that are under threat because of deforestation, overfishing, industrial farming, pollution and climate change. Today, one third of all land is degraded, making it harder to feed growing populations. Around 17,000 delegates from 196 countries are here for the crucial nature talks. We have not realized the real partnership that nature deserves from man. Their goal, to negotiate a plan that will stop further losses of ecosystems by 2030 and to reverse damage that has already been done. The previous targets expired in 2020, with none of its goals met. It's kind of at a point now that if we don't act now, um, my future is going to be a lot different. The conference was initially supposed to take place in China two years ago, but was postponed by COVID and then shifted to Montreal, prompting what police are calling their biggest security operation in two decades. And with protests planned for tomorrow, officers will be out in full force. Omar. Hope it stays peaceful. Vanessa Lee in Montreal tonight. Time for a two-minute break, but when we come back, the Afghan journalist on a perilous journey to Canada. Plus, giving young girls an opportunity to fulfill their dreams. The women forging a new path for professional soccer. Some breaking news out of Georgia tonight. Senator Raphael Warnock has been re-elected in a highly anticipated runoff election. Warnock's win gives Democrats an outright majority in the Senate, no longer relying solely on tie-breaking votes from Vice President Kamala Harris. Warnock beat former football star Herschel Walker. Thousands of vulnerable Afghans are still waiting for a critical airlift to Canada, among them a journalist who was brutalized by the Taliban. He told his story to CTV's Genevieve Beauchemin. Ziar Hanyad sings of life in exile, of heartache. He was once on the front lines reporting in Afghanistan. Now he spends his days in an Islamabad hotel waiting for news of his departure to Canada. Just going seconds, minutes, hours, days, nights, uh, but nothing special. Yad was a journalist for Tolo News, covering conflict in eastern Afghanistan, girls' education and women's rights for six years. 
On August 25, 2021, he was reporting on economic hardships under the new regime when Taliban fighters pulled up in their armored land cruiser. They directly beat me. They also beat my cameraman and they uh, uh, gunpoint me. And also they took my mobile and they took our cameras. They show my ID that I'm a journalist. He told, oh, you're a journalist? What are you talking about? They against beat me. Just a week before, the Taliban had pledged to the world it would respect the freedom of the press, saying it was useful to correct leaders' errors. Yad is believed to be the first journalist to be beaten days after that. And he's far from the last. Many more were injured, some killed. After that, uh, most, more journalists was beaten, was prisoned. And uh, my story was not the uh, only one. Pledges to women were also broken, and so were the spirits of those who held on to hope they could tell Afghanistan's story. His life threatened. Yad was forced to flee to Pakistan and hoped he could be admitted to Canada under a special immigration program. Now he's waiting for the Canadian Immigration Department to give he and his family the go-ahead to board a flight out. We lost all of hopes in Afghanistan. Well, not all hope, exactly. There is little Rahman. Yad and his wife planned for him to be born in their new home in Canada. They never imagined this process would take so long. For his son, Yad still dreams of the future. Toronto, Niagara Falls. One day I will be uh, stunned like this and then I want to see the Niagara Falls, which I love it. But for now, he doesn't know when he'll be able to write that next story. Jeanne Boshmay, CTV News, Islamabad. Still ahead, a contentious legal overhaul. Banning sex outside of marriage, the implications of Indonesia's new law. Sweeping new changes to Indonesia's criminal code are sparking a fierce debate in the world's largest Muslim-majority country. Its parliament has outlawed sex outside marriage and will apply that law to everyone entering that country. CTV's Heather Butts on the new rule and the ripple effects. The beautiful beaches and picturesque landscapes draw millions of tourists to Indonesia every year, but new laws could change that. It really just sends a very chilling message, which is, you know, you are not welcome. The country has criminalized sex outside marriage and living together. It applies equally to locals and foreigners, and those found guilty could face a year in prison. Some in the travel industry believe people won't want to take the chance. Particularly young people that might uh, want to visit Bali. I mean, there's a lot of nice places in the world you can go that don't have this kind of legislation. Human rights advocates fear this could harm democratic freedoms and worry about enforcement. If it is to be enforced broadly, how many millions of people will be arrested? The problem with this kind of law is it provides an avenue for selective enforcement. The existing criminal code dates back to 1918, when Indonesia was a Dutch colony. The long-awaited revision passed unanimously. The country's law and human rights minister insists revisions are in keeping with the will of the people in a Muslim-majority country. 
but demonstrators line the front gates of Parliament rejecting the revisions, which also includes punishments for insulting the president, government or other state institutions. They passed a law that controls our private lives, said this protester, and does not take care of public matters. While it's unknown how it will be enforced, Indonesia's justice minister said there will be outreach to police and advocates. The laws are expected to come into place in three years' time. Heather Butts, CTV News, Toronto. A Montreal-born goalkeeper playing for Morocco saved his best for last in a thrilling finish at the World Cup. Yassine Bounou denied two of Spain's penalties in a stunning 3-0 shootout win, propelling Morocco into the quarterfinals for the first time in its history. Joao Felix and Rodoso! And their next opponent, Portugal, were also victorious today, despite leaving Cristiano Ronaldo out of the starting lineup. Also from Qatar today, reaction to a new Canadian soccer announcement. After the break, the women in a league of their own. We leave you tonight with another resounding victory for Canadian women's soccer, a new professional league aiming to smash barriers. Here's CTV's Heather Wright. After a decade of international success, professional women's soccer is finally coming to Canada. The future is honestly so bright. We know the women's game is going to grow. Through her company, Project 8, Diana Matheson is spearheading the creation of a women's domestic league set to kick off in 2025 inspiring the next generation of young Canadians, giving young girls an opportunity to fulfill their dreams. Olympic gold medalist Christine Sinclair and Stephanie LeBay are also involved, saying it's time Canadian women have an option to play professional soccer at home. To really be able to like build your life outside of sport, that's what helps players play deeper and longer into their careers. CIBC and Air Canada are already on board as sponsors with the Vancouver Whitecaps and Calgary Foothills confirmed as the first two clubs in a planned 18 league. But there is still a long to-do list. The league needs a name, a broadcaster, more sponsors and ownership for six more clubs. A lot of leagues in the world that can we can use as an example. And more important now it's really to kick it off and to get the momentum started. Women's professional sports leagues have had a mix of success and failures, often fighting for visibility and sponsorship. This group says the timing for this league is right. Women's professional sport is a new industry. Uh, it's growing faster than men's sport and it will keep growing over the next two decades. Not only will this league aim to keep Canadian players at home, it hopes to grow the next generation of soccer stars. And it's just really cool to be able to know that players that are growing up and players like me once we're done university have somewhere to come to once you come back to Canada. Giving them the ability to chase their dreams here at home. Heather Wright, CTV News, Toronto. Great to see so much talent. And that's a snapshot of this Tuesday. I'm Omar Sachinina. For all of us at CTV National News, thank you for watching. Good night and see you again tomorrow.